Spike Camp Part Two. Because <laughs> it's obviously turned to spikes instead of like, well, I mean, I guess it kind of rolls in with the whole calling thing. Uh, just kind of like a final closing thoughts or my final yeah. closing thoughts because are we just going to do this? Like I'm already, I'm already firing it yeah, up over no, here. Sounds good. Uh, because once after Kyle left, I started doing more and more research. I wanted to know what that curse study, the one he referenced and, and just see if I could find more studies. Cause like I said, once I started researching it, it, it basically seems like everything, every quote unquote study. And I, I have a bone to pick with these studies and I'll get to that here shortly, but it seems like every study that was performed, I don't know what date to put on it, but with like, I don't know. Let's just say early 2000s and older said that shoot spikes as it pertains to management standpoint, they essentially their studies were saying that a spike is a good indicator and is genetically inferior. But when you start listening to anything new, they are on the, you know, the path of that's not necessarily true anymore. So what I determined is no one actually knows. <laughs> that's that's what I, I mean. I think I went through six or seven different studies and I read a bunch of little articles and stuff. And I, like I said, it, it's highly dependent. It seems like it's highly dependent on is it an older study or a newer study or is this person just write an article talking about an older study? Before we even like go down this road, I would like to talk about these studies. Because it seems, as it pertains to scientific studies, there's a certain set of rules, if you will. What do you, Don't they call that? Like scientific, there's a name for it, I'm sure, that you you are supposed to adhere to. I usually remember the uh, scientific method, which is just That's like it. the, it's, it's not even just the necessarily like a you have to stick to, it's the like underlying philosophy, like how right, think. the guidelines. Yeah. And then... Much. This study is, is, I mean, if we're talking about a true scientific study, it's supposed to be, I guess, viewed by your peers. Yeah, so like that'd be, so you like do, so normally, uh, I mean, depending on exactly what field you're in, you would, um, you would do a study and then you have, you send your study off and then, then you get like a peer review, which is almost like an accreditation or, um, you know, similar process, yeah, it, right? I so mean, like you would, you would want to cite like, if you're looking for the best version of a study, it would be one that has been conducted and then been peer reviewed. Cause the, the peer review is where they'll point out things like uh, discrepancies or what issues that they saw right. with the, with the methodology or so on and so forth. It basically should be a way to legitimize, legitimize. Why can I say this word? Legitimize. Cause it's cause you were uh, <laughs> legitimized because you're from East Texas, small town, East Texas. Uh, legitimize. Legitimize the study. Yeah. And, and again, I didn't, once I started going down this little rabbit hole, because it got me to wondering about, well, should I be looking at the spikes more often? It, are these spikes, in fact, the genocide, the spike, <laughs> the four and five year olds I'm shooting later on. Once I know that they, they're not what we want to see in our particular deer herd. So I started going down this rabbit hole. And like I said, it's so goddamn back and forth. I'm like, well, now I don't even know what to think other than the fact that. And I think we cut this part out is on this particular place. I manage, I place more importance on does because we're always cited more does than anything. And at the end of the day, I'm not MLD. I can't just, you know, shoot whatever we're dependent upon tags and, you know, let the kids shoot quote unquote coal bucks or management bucks. And I'll get all that later. But so we're, we're highly dependent upon deer tags and we're always heavier on the doe side. So that's, that's why I place importance as, as it pertains to culling. And, uh, I don't like if I were in a particular circumstance, I could see where it might be valuable to look at the yearlings now. And I'll get to that particular circumstance in a minute. But as it pertains to 
the low fence ranch that I manage, it's just not high on party. So I never party list. So I never paid much attention to it. Also, it's the fact that we've never had many. Now I've been managing this place for this will be our sixth season or seventh season. Six, I don't remember. Six to seven. Uh, we've only shot two, maybe three spikes. Now one of them was hundred percent older. And I know everybody's like, you never seen an older spike. Well, I've been hunting ever since I was a little child. And I've probably seen, I'm going to say three mature, like more mature spikes, like older than a year and a half. But yes, majority of your spikes are year and a half old. But I've never, I've never sit around given much thought. Like, I wonder if that one's going to be genetically inferior. I've always just sided on the side of, we'll wait till it gets a little bit older. And like I said, there is a circumstance where I can adhere to Kyle's hatred for spikes. And I would, I could see where it'd be valuable to go ahead and take them out. And I'll get to that scenario here in a minute, just like I said. But going back to the studies, I went back and tried to look for these studies and skimmed them. You know, I didn't do a, a huge amount of reading, but I did go back and kind of look at, you know, where certain organizations stand on this point. And like I said, most of the old studies claim that, yes, they are genetic inferiors. Most of the new stuff, people have a much different opinion. And I and Kyle touched on this last time, the whole no one believes once a spike, always a spike. In all the, the reading and research I looked at, I don't even know where that came from. Like, I didn't even know it was an argument. To be honest with you, I didn't know that people, like, there was a... I'm sure what he meant by it was, like, <clears throat> when you start telling people to kill spikes, uh, a bunch of people on the internet are probably, like, uh, they, like, like straw man the position as being, oh, if it's it's always, it's never going to be anything other right. than a spike. That said, if I was to ever see, like, a four- or five-year-old spike, it'd be awesome. And I remember, it was either dad or somebody killed a pretty old spike one time, I believe. And maybe I'll try to locate some pictures, which I was back for all you youngins. I was back for cell phone cameras and all that. So may not be able to find one, but I recall someone shooting a monster spike uh, when we was young. Like we're talking about pretty young. But it seems like, especially like posting on social media, getting a feel for what people think, how people feel. I was always under the impression a lot of people shot spikes. Uh, you know, not myself, but I just always kind of just going off the way people talked about it. And the fact that, uh, you are allowed a unbranched antler or a spike, whatever. I was just kind of under the impression. A lot of people shot spikes and it seems like through, you know, posting social media, getting people's thoughts that hardly nobody shoots spikes anymore. And what really, the reason why this is all a thing is because this particular season, we, on this area of Texas, we had a tough, we had no rain during the spring here. We had a tough summer. Like it was, it was over a hundred degrees more days in a row than I can remember. Uh, tough, tough spring and summer. And what that translates into is your deer herd is they're just not going to look as good as they normally would with a good spring and so, so on and so forth. And I've noticed that this year I have over doubled the amount of spikes I normally have. So they got me, uh, actually, no, it's at this point, it's over double the amount of spikes. Usually we have like two, three spikes this season, uh, you know, year and a half oats. This year I'm at seven year and a half oats spikes. Now, most of them little spike horns are very long. But after sitting in the stands, really, you know, putting glass on them and looking at trail cam photos and all that stuff, 100% confirmed right now. I have seven year, year and a half old spikes. And it got me thinking, well, how much of that is genetic and how much of that is essentially malnutrition? And we talked about this the other day. I wish we would have been recording because <laughs> I had a lot of well, fresh points on the deal. I, would, I have a question. So is there ever a situation would you have a deer that let's say at you know two years old is not a spike but then year three is does it ever happen 
You know, I don't know, but I don't think so. Okay, because I, I guess what? I would assume if he got wounded somehow, it could possibly happen. But thing, I, don't, I don't think so. I think the thing that I was, that would make the most sense to me based on kind of what Kyle was saying and right. what I've heard with you is like, if it's a spike, it could be, you know, it's almost like it's behind in its own development. Right. And so like the argument would then be like, is there... Is it possible to catch it back up to the point where it would be a good brand? Keeping in mind that goods on the, like the bleeding edge of what people consider quote unquote, like what is good. Like some yeah. people might be happy with a hundred thirty inch buck, whereas the other people, if it's not one ninety, well, it would be property dependent, it. obviously. But like, you know, can you, you know, just because it's, you know, it may have a little stunted growth, can it grow up to be a NBA player? Like that would be the so. What really, and I think we end up cutting out. We yeah, um, just as a, as, a, as a heads up, we we cut a lot of uh, that, that Kyle last Kyle podcast up just because we were. There's a lot of it like we're basically talking. Wade, about Wade was like, yeah, Wade was like instigating Kyle to rant about yes. spikes a lot, and <laughs> Kyle got pretty heated. Uh, we're you know, I mean, like I said, we were talking in circles, and you know, there's a bunch of like bullshit in time, so we cut it down to kind of like this is the bare bones of the situation, but so. After doing research and everything, uh, more and more people don't shoot spikes. And if you think about, think about it this way, uh, the first thing, and this is pretty common, like there isn't no debates on what I'm about to say is the first thing as it pertains to antler development is stressors being like detrimental, whether it be like heat drought you know, all that kind of stuff in that study, the study we were talking about in Kyle's podcast, it, uh, you know, they talked about the stressors, the environmental stressors as being a a huge part of the antler development and everything else. So you think about it like this on a good year, essentially a good spring, all that stuff, uh, not too hot and everything else the full genetic potential of said buck is displayed. Like if he gets plenty to eat, plenty to drink, plenty of good minerals and stuff like that, the, his fullest potential is displayed regardless of the age. Now, as it pertains to year and a half old bucks, I mean, if you watch the way deer feed, how it generally goes, and this is for most, I guess, I would assume mammals. Uh, most of the time, the child-rearing female gets the best uh, food resources. So when you start looking at that, okay, the child-rearing female gets the best food resources. By essentially, the older, mature dose. And then... You know, after all said and done, the mature bucks come in. And we're talking about off-season because when rut starts, things get really crazy and out of hand. But we're just talking about off-season when it really matters for antler development. So if you if you ever spend time sitting out watching deer, such as I do, every single year, uh, all year, you start watching this play out. Most people's Most people – have a feeder they if they're into management they'll have a protein feeder and it's generally one in one you know some places that are more have lots more animals and and there's guys who have different opinions on what you should do to keep deer in the area longer they may have a couple corn feeders but primarily most of the time you're going to have one protein feeder if you really start observing those deer the mature i call them bitches but <laughs> the does who will stomp everything away while she's feeding they get the food first. Generally, the bucks come in second. And if you watch that year's fawns, uh, they're kind of just stumbling around. They're trying to get up there and slip feed where they can. They're getting stomped away and everything else. And you, it starts paint to me. It starts painting a picture in my mind, like, oh, it kind of makes more sense now why a, a year and a half old could be not necessarily genetically inferior. It could be more malnutrition because he's kind of in this weird place after, you know, he's born a fawn after he kind of gets, get away from the females. 
it's kind of this weird place. It's awkward, and he's not getting to feed nowhere near as good as other animals are. Yeah, he can come in later and everything else. And just keeping lots of data at each one of my stands, uh, watching them, not just during season, after season. Uh, the only time I'm not sitting in stands, well, I mean, I can't even say that because we do have pigs, and I have to go out and try and take care of them as much as possible. So I'm kind of in the stands all seasons of the year, not just deer season. I'm watching how they're reacting to certain feeds. I'm watching how they feed. And there's also like some scientific evidence you can go back and read on how how uh, mammals feed, essentially, like and all that stuff. So what I started noticing is especially the you know them younger younger uh, bucks. They're not getting very good nutrition, which what led me down that road of putting out not just one huge protein feeder, a little bit smaller protein feeders, more of them in varying heights. Because if you watch, like, generally speaking, and there there are feeders that have varying heights, and you can change the, all that stuff, but most of these large capacity protein feeders have fixed heights. And if you look at it, especially here where the deer tend to be a little bit smaller in other parts, like uh, other than northern Texas, which is a different subspecies of deer anyways, but the little year yearlings and shit can't even reach that thing. So they're just nibbling up whatever falls on the ground as it pertains to protein. And then as far as corn goes, like we feed a lot of corn, especially this time of year. I turn them way back in the off season, but I feed corn year round and we feed protein year round still. And I feed alfalfa and all that stuff, but if you watch, basically the yearlings aren't getting good feed, like the mature, especially dominant does, and then the bucks, dominant bucks and everything else, they kind of rule the roost. And the reality of the situation is we can't just put out five, six feeders to where all of them are getting fed all the time good and all that. But what I can do is instead of just putting one big protein feeder, I'll put several at varying heights because if you watch the more mature deer, they're more likely to go up to the larger protein feeder because it's easy for them just lift their head up and eat a little bit of protein as opposed to the ones that have short legs, they won't hardly mess with that. It leaves room for the little yearlings to get up there and eat. So if you start looking at our particular numbers, it seems like it's much more of a malnutrition as opposed to a genetic inferior. Inferiority. <laughs> I guess I just shouldn't shouldn't try to you say just, yeah, just certain don't, words. Just don't use big words. Avoid them. <laughs> I think well, I think it's more along the lines of my brain is highly outrunning yeah. my ability to speak. Yeah. Uh. So, moving on. Uh, so you're saying uh, basically Kyle's full of shit. No, uh, wasn't anything. No, said. I'm getting to that. <laughs> <laughs> the, I'm strictly talking low fence right now oh yeah that's completely yeah and you know and i don't remember if we talked left it in or pulled it out but there was a at one point we're talking about deer pins now i'm going to break this down into three categories low fence high fence deer pins now when we're talking like breeder pins we're talking about breeder pins generally a smaller but they're 100 high fenced everything's controlled down to the uh they basically get it down to where they know what doe and what buck are throwing what genetics. And this is how you get those monster-ass bucks. Now, you can debate whether or not you agree with it later on, but it is what it is. It's a big business in Texas. They're 100% controlling the, the genetics genetics down to a T in the breeder pens because the, the goal is control all aspects, no stressors. Essentially, they're controlling all the feeding, the water, everything. It's usually in great places that don't have issues with drought and everything. They're controlling the genetics to a T. So what you have is the perfect scenario to look at and keep track of what don't, what buck throw, what good genetics, and so on and so forth. Can I just say these, uh, these bucks look retarded? They are a bit ridiculous when you got like a two-year-old who's like a 400-inch buck. <laughs> yeah like that yeah what is that that's a freak of nature is what that is i mean people but people like that like that's a thing i guess like, I, i'm just i'm not a huge fan of the the quote-unquote non-typical i mean though some of those are like so goddamn big they have to trim the horns which typically they do cut all the horns before they okay well i want to wait on the breeder pen stuff till i get someone in here from a breeder pen i've talked to a few of them 
haven't got nothing in the books yet. You see a lot of high fence ranches in Texas. Now, sometimes they try to buy, buy genetics and bring them in, but majority of the time what you end up with is a high-fensive place that already has pretty good local genetics, especially some parts of Texas. And then from there, there's no outside genetics coming in. So from there, after years of selective culling, they end up with the genetics, the genetic traits they want, they like the best, and that's how they kind of build up this awesome herd. Now, in that particular scenario, high fence, not breeder pens, high fence, I can understand why they would shoot yearling spikes. I'll get to that here in just a second. But back to the breeder pen. In the last podcast, we asked Kyle if they ever throw spikes in the breeder pens, and he said they do. Now, I'm like, so you're telling me that it is possible that it's not a genetic inferiority inferiority just don't use that word jesus christ defect can i just no give me a sign <laughs> right yeah that it is it could be just a malnutrition situation or whatever and i was like okay so in a breeder pen when they throw a spike do they shoot them absolutely not because they know exactly what genetics went into that and they know they can control everything else it's just strange that i would say the breeder pens are 100 percent a controlled study it is you can replicate that all day long in that pen. Yeah. Everything is controlled. That's that's your control group. As the high fence is not necessarily controlled because you're you're locked in with the genetics that you fenced in. But if anything, those high fence ranches that have shown you through years of selective culling and all that, that you can you can't change the genetics, the the native genetics, but you can selectively call out what you don't want, and what you end up with is a healthier herd of the genetic genetic traits that you like. Now, in this particular scenario, let's just say we have a five hundred acre or a thousand acre high fence ranch. They fenced it off. Native species, native genetics. They've been doing it for say ten years. Now, once this area is fenced off, the habitat will only handle X amount of deer, and that's usually determined on whoever's managing the ranch and everything else. The worst thing you can do is let those numbers get too high because then that's a stressor. That'll give you small bucks in the end, and the overall herd health will get unhealthy. So they have to shoot X amount of deer every season, no matter what. And typically what they're looking for is pretty close sex ratios like one one two to one whatever and we can argue that on a different podcast what's better but they're they're looking for one to one one to two stuff like that like not too many does not too many bucks so every single year they let's just say they have to shoot 10 does 10 bucks and we're just using hypotheticals here but that's kind of the situation you're left with because you are in this fenced in place you can only the land can only handle so many whitetails so let's just say we're going to shoot 10 does 10 bucks but we've been managing this place for say six to ten years this particular high fence we have we have to shoot 10 does 10 bucks this year to keep our numbers right so we don't outgrow what the land can, can provide essentially to keep a healthy herd let's just say out of those 10 bucks now keep in mind we've been managing this place for 10 years out of those 10 bucks we only get to shoot, we only get to harvest five mature bucks. That leaves us with, we need to kill five more bucks. Well, this, we've been doing this for 10 years. We've selectively targeted genetic traits that we don't like, and those are kind of shot out. Those are kind of gone. Like we're, we're left with a herd that we like. They're throwing stuff we like, and we, we still have to shoot five bucks. So where do we look next? We're controlling all the variables, keep in mind down to you know it's in a place that has better weather and all that all that's you know their feed program's good they got good water nutrition everything's there so at the end of the day you can kind of look at the high fence situation where you can really control all those factors and say chances are that spike is genetically inferior now this is a 100 percent controlled situation 
I could see where they would look to the yearlings, the year and a half olds, for culling purposes. Because, like, let's just say they threw X amount, or they have X amount year and a half old bucks, and we're looking at like 10 points, 8 points, and all these other great what you would assume is going to make a great buck. And we have two spikes and we need to kill X amount of bucks to keep our numbers at bay. We have no other mature bucks. We can shoot because they're for customers and we don't have any quote unquote cool bucks like mature bucks that aren't going to make it because we've, we've already selectively got all those genetic traits out that we don't want at that point in time. I can hundred percent see where from a numbers management standpoint, they would look at year and a half olds. And be like, oh, spikes, get them fuckers out of here. I can 100% see that. And I think that's more along the lines of where Kyle's come from. He does a lot of work on high fence ranches. So the problem with this is, is people get too attached to things. Because what translates over here doesn't translate over here, doesn't translate over here. And as it pertains to spikes, I think on a low fence setting, especially if you don't supplement feed, meaning don't do protein and stuff like that, you turn on your feeders, you know, October and turn them off in January, which technically there's probably, those probably what people are shooting spikes. But I think in that setting, you should definitely not look at a spike as a indicator of what kind of buck he's going to make because hundred percent, that was just living off land. It's mama's just living off land when she was providing milk for him. So she's probably, you know, technically speaking, a little bit malnourished. But the crazy thing is that's probably the spike that's going to get shot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it seems like that was you, you pressed him. And I don't, again, I don't remember if this actually made it in the final cut, but in regards, like, where should it be on the priority list? Right. And it seems like, yeah, if, if everything else is perfect. Yeah. Well, that's, okay. That's one. Shoot a spike. But like, Every when everything else is perfect except the cutoff is deer pins. I think I think the whole shooting of the spike thing only is only good practice in high fence ranches, not breeder pins, high fence ranches that have been that have been that are on good food programs and have great land to run the herd on that have been managing for X amount of years or longer, like say 10 years or longer, all other things. I don't think it's, there's not an, there's not enough studies to say whether or not it's bullshit or not. Well, it's uh there's this concept called Pascal's wager deals with religion, but let's not talk about that. Um, <laughs> you have like, if you shoot the spike, like there's like, you just eliminate any potential, that could have happened. Right. So like, if you're not a hundred percent sure and you shoot the spike, well, the, the situation is decided. If you let it go a little bit longer, you know, you might be able to, to see like next year. I mean, I mean, right. You're kind of like, should you cut your losses at that, at, at that young of an age? Right. And see, I think as it pertains to what majority of people are hunting is low fence. Well, I'd say that probably people listen to this podcast. <laughs> probably don't worry about the goddamn year and a half out. I think, you know, I, I place more worry on, I look at it as an indicator of how well of a job I'm doing as the manager, because I think there, I, I particularly think in a low fence setting, it's way more, it has way more to do with nutrition of the, the does to the fawns to the year and a half oats, as opposed to genetic inferiority. Well, yeah, like, you know, cool if it's, if there is some gene that they're all carrying, but, um, you know, you, let's say this year you go waste all your spikes. What does that mean for like, you know, the next, you know, the next two years in terms of the, the herd and that, like that year crop? Yeah, because I mean. It's way more important to have age diversity as opposed yeah. to just massacre all. Like, oh, we're not going to have any. We're not going to have any of this age group for however many years. If anything, this year solidified this argument of you have in the low fence setting. You have no way of knowing if it's genetics 
or if it's malnutrition. Chances are in places that are arid and dry, such as West Texas can be, that have higher deer populations in certain areas, which we do, it's a more of a malnutrition as opposed to the genetic inferiority. So I just err on the side of good judgment. Don't shoot it. And like I said, if anything taught me was this year, on average, our our bucks across all age groups did not make hardly any gains whatsoever this particular season, which is very disconcerting. And I mean, I'm being very hard on these deer because I, the past couple of years we've been on track. Yeah. I've kind of. I was kind of expecting, even though I knew it was going to be hard on them because the heat, it's a huge stressor on them. And there's increased oil field traffic. That's a stressor. I don't care what anybody says. Anything anything that's out of the norm is a stressor on whitetail, and it affects whitetail antler growth. Mm-hmm. The body's going to take care of itself before the body takes care of the antlers. That's essentially how it goes. That's how it works. And this particular year, we had it like a 75% increase in spikes. Kind of seems to me it's not necessarily genetics as much as it is, you know, the malnutrition effect. Yeah. But I digress. I'm only going to ever shoot a buck now if it's over 200. (laughs) You should probably go with some of them pins then. I'm kidding. These things are just ridiculous. Like, it's it's almost sad because you just know, like, this animal was not built to, like, (laughs) have this giant rack, you know? Right. To have 190 pounds of antler. <laughs> <laughs> and it is, I, again, I, I go back. Is it just, is it just for some like guy to hang on his wall? Like, is that what's happened? Like probably. But then like everybody looks at it and goes, Oh, you, that was like a, a deer that I, I think it, it's like, does anybody, does just, anybody go, Oh man, you're, you're a real well, hunter. Let's get no. controversial because like, <laughs> is this just like a thing? Is this like anything else? You know, <laughs> a thing promulgated by the boomers where it's like self flagellating and like, Oh, look how good a hunters we are. I, you know, we bred this deer and I shot it. I don't know versus, if it's so much of that. It's as, as it is, uh, look how big these fucking horns are. Like you don't understand. I, I, I literally, not, I literally don't. You, you are basing what, I guess what you know about deer hunting off of me, which is kind of like, I don't give well, a I shit mean, about I, the bucks. I, uh, I mean, a good buck my, is a I good had, buck. I had family that hunted, you know, I, I, but I, I, I saw and like, yeah, like, oh, cool. Look at the racks bigger, but like, not that you have it. Okay. So like, are people like, like, I, I just need a picture of the person who's just like, fuck. Yeah. Like, who's that guy? Daniel and my dad. Like, like, like uh, this shit. They like if that was just hanging on the wall. No, no, they're not going to go. They're not going to go like do all that. But if it was just hanging on the wall, their jaws might drop. Like they're, they are. Think of me on predator hunting. That's how they are about whitetail hunting. Is it just so, like, does it happen at a young age? Like you get like, you know, you, there's always the people like as a kid, they get fixated on something and then it's just like carries into the door. I don't know. I don't know. Cause I mean, we all grew up whitetail hunting. Uh, from a very, very early age. Like, would Daniel or your dad ever pay the money it would cost to go hunt one of these? I, I When I say I hunt, know. I mean, the thing probably walks out in front of you and you shoot it. I don't know if they'd do that. Well, I don't know. Dad really likes shoot big bucks. Yeah. <laughs> he, you know, I don't I don't see him. He's a bit frugal. There's a, but then uh, like, you see. I don't see him paying to do you it. You see, like. But uh, I don't think he'd turn it down. I guess I'm, <laughs> what I'm assuming, like, there's almost a natural look to, like, a big buck, though, where you're like, okay, yeah, like Dan, that's that's yeah. big, but that this is just like a yeah freak of nature shit. To me, it looks like a <laughs> you know forty year old woman who has like the big Botox and like the, the <laughs> like that's it's like this is the deer version of that. I'd agree with that. I'd agree. Where with it's that like you're, it's like I'm like I'm not attra- like I'm not attracted to this. I'm not attracted to to the double F's. You know, like <laughs> that look like balloons, and that's what that looks like to me. Yes. <laughs> Um, yes. I mean, if they were sitting in their deer stand that came by 100%, that's something well, that's I mean, going I, down. I if they anybody, even hold a rifle, I think like, anybody would do that. I'd, I mean, I'd drop one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I only get excited about big. And then I would go take a picture where I was like standing at the ass end of it 42 it looked, miles away, <laughs> where it looked really big. Can I get some arm extensions? Yeah. 
I, you know, I get excited about big deer that I help get to that. Well, yeah, it's like a satisfaction of like, oh, look, all this investment and time and energy I've spent in this pay off. But like, I could imagine like, you know, let's money, like money not being an issue. It's just like how much satisfaction would you get from just like, oh, here's 20 grand. Again, you're not hunting this. This thing can't, this thing can't run away. It it's not a hunt. Probably don't want to. No, it, <laughs> it can't. These things Physically are, can't. Because they can't hold his head up. Exactly. Well, they're... <laughs> From, you know, I'm now an expert. I read an article like they're bottle fed. <laughs> like I would like to get Like I said, I've reached out a couple of them. A couple of them are like some babies later on right now. There's their busy time. Obviously I would love to get like some high fence ranch managers in here and then some deer breeder pen managers in here to see like, okay, what are y'all doing this for? Do y'all sell like. I'm sure most of it goes sperm like tubes I'm to sure the ranches or whatever. Like, what are we doing here? Right. Cause it's like, for example, for you, right. Let's say, let's say you were, or even if you were low fence, but like on massive acreage, right. Where you're just like, Oh, I'm going to go add some of these genes into my, I wonder pen. how that would pan out. Uh, you would wind up with a deer that probably has some severe genetic deformities. Probably. Uh, from from years of inbreeding to make these stupid large antlers that <laughs> it would it would just die, <laughs> but it would be it have big antlers. <laughs> That's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, it's like can we make it like where it has like a you know bigger back? Like can we selectively breed for like a bigger back strap? You know, like can exactly. We, like, can we make these things more edible? Exactly. Um, That's where it's at. But yeah, like because I you know I think the. The false assumption in my mind would be people go, well, it has bigger antlers. So that must mean it's a healthier deer. But I'm sure these things are not. Like if you were to like take like. I don't know. I I, I bet they'd eat better. You think? Like a, Well, yeah, because they were freaking <laughs> never had stress. Exactly. They've been, been hand fed. Well, I mean. Is it like the Wagyu cows in Japan? They're going to start like. That's what I was like, wondering. Like I wonder what them. that deer meat yeah. tastes like. Because they're not. They're not going to be. There's no way they're going to be as lean. As like a native deer. who's just like running all the time. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, hopefully we get someone in here from Breeder Pen and uh, get the answers to some more uh, questions. I, they're going to have to, ho- I want to hear some stories about the people, like not the people who are buying the sperm, but like the right the people who hunt these things. I just wonder, I don't, that, you know, I don't know enough about Breeder Pens to know if, do they just, is it all about the market, like selling it? Setting them off. Do they actually have like out back? There's deer stand. You can come pay an exorbitant amount of money to shoot this. Obviously, at some point, the buck's going to age out. Yeah. Like, and he, they're going to probably have another one to replace him, or you know, whatever. Well, what, you know, right? So at some point, why not sell it to shoot the bastard? Out? Well, they're they're breeding it, and then the ones that aren't necessarily because right, like they're going to have some kind of goal they're going for, or like I want I want it to look this way because they're selectively breeding it and. <laughs> The ones that don't fit that criteria, I'm sure, like you were saying earlier, get sent off, sent off to deer camp, <laughs> never come back. Literally. And, uh, <laughs> but like the ones for them that are like, oh, that's awful. They're, they're like bigger than any native deer you've ever seen. Probably. I'm sure. It's probably. probably absurd. Oh, look at this 200 inch deer. Ugh, get it out of here. It's all like, <laughs> shoot me, shoot me. But I would like, I would really like to know from a breeder pen perspective, Surely they keep extensive records. They, well, they have to to know, like, because we're talking about like the does and bucks or ear tags. We're like, talking about deer people here. I know. Surely they have to have extensive records, like what they were yearlings and so on and so forth. I want to know the percentage from a breeder pen, not a high fence. I'd also kind of like to know. I'd like to hear if anybody runs a high fence and you don't shoot spikes. I'd like to hear from you. But from a breeder print perspective, I'd like to know what percentage comes out a yearling spike. Like, how often does that actually happen? And I would, and I would like assume the, not very often. The, well, the interesting thing on that would be if they did have the records, if you got a spike, right, and then from that same age group or age crop, whatever you want to call it, right, how does tracking he it alongside all the other deer right. or all the other, uh, yeah. How, how does he compare? So at a year and a half, we had five deer and year and a half most of them were probably like something ridiculous and we had one spike which i would assume that probably breeder pin spikes are probably 
gargantuous, <laughs> but <they're, laughs> look like longhorns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice to see. Okay, let's jump forward to four years old. Are the, are the rest of the breeder pen four year olds like? 200 inch bucks whereas the the spike is only a like 180 a, yeah exactly <laughs> but that would be would be more interesting is if the spike was like if Bigger. one did actually it did have more potential because then that would that would kind of you know yeah what what say you most of the argument that that spike his daddy was the biggest buck on the ranch what say you? Is it even possible as he was just, five years old he's way bigger than he his cohort he was a late bloomer I hope somebody, if you have this, send it to me so I can just give Kyle like unrelenting <laughs> shit for the rest of his life. But I mean, the like I said at the day, well, I sent you some of them. Yeah. Uh, these, these, all these different opinions. Like, how do you expect anybody to like get on the same page? Because the answer is it's different wherever you go. Like some places have way too many goddamn deer. Like there's there's places in uh. I don't remember what state it was, Georgia, maybe, I don't know, to where there's like basically no goddamn limit to the deer you can shoot because they have too many or something or yeah. whatever. Well, I think this this kind of comes back to what that, like the original article and everything that got linked that started all this conversation, which is like, okay, y'all are all focusing way too much on this when you yes. should be focusing on this. And yes. I think, I think if you take that advice with the, obviously nutrition, nutrients, like, uh, you know, all the all that stuff, minerals, so on and so forth, protein. And then you also take a, you know, the aspect of, you know, the proportion, right. Do, do bug population. I think you're like 90% there and everything else we're talking yes. about is just like, yes, it's like the edge of the spectrum, which is, which is the, the most important part of the spectrum, yes. right? Like, <laughs> no, 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 it, like it is like, cause it's like that final, like, like like ninety percent of the work, but like getting that final ten percent yes. is the hardest part. Yes. And so, yeah, it, like how you do it is probably pretty important. But you know, I th- I think a lot of it's just much much like said in the last one. It's like astrology, foo foo bullshit. <laughs> it's like I'm gonna bring a I'm gonna bring a uh, what do they call those out a psychic out to tell me which which bucks to <laughs> which which to call exactly. I I just I really wished I really wished it wasn't such a pain in the ass to like do a study on your own goddamn property. Cause I would love every spike. Actually, I'll take that back every year, year and a half old buck we have this year. I would love to tag them bastards. Yeah. To, to track them over the next six years and see where we're at. Now, if, if one made it to four and a half and is a piece of shit, would I deem a piece of shit per my management on this particular place? Let me just yeah. specify that right now. Basically, by four years old, if he ain't got no brow tines or whatever, he's probably going to get smoked. And and I'm going to keep an eye on him. Like, by 100% by three, you're going to be kind of like, well, you better shoot some eye guards up there. And by four, he's getting smoked out here. That's just one thing that I don't give a shit. If there's probably going to be some whole another thing about eye guards and developing land and whatever. I don't give a shit. But by four years old out here, if they don't have – some eye guards like if it's pretty goddamn slick and it's not just like a broken off type scenario they just don't have them or they're just like mini little mini guys they're they're getting smoked it's just, that's a trait that i want to see with our bucks and when we first got here as we d- discussed the first podcast on this particular subject there was a lot of them and we went like that's why we focused on the first two years shooting that shit out, and you just don't see it much anymore. <coughs> and it's because the main corporates we whacked them bastards, and we got them on a like aggressive nutrition plan, and we had some great springs and shit, and great rains and everything that helped us a lot. But I digress. Shoot your spike, don't shoot your spike. I don't care. Flip a coin. <laughs> I think that's. Uh, from a low fence perspective, I think you're much better off doing that. Yeah. Does it, there's, there's no way you can know. There's no way you can know in a low fence, whether it's genetic or malnutrition. Well, I think that kind of goes back to, this is why like almost all your anecdotal or like my cousin's brother or this evidence is all <laughs> horse shit yeah. because there's so many other factors yes. that are at play that you can't, 
not only can you not control for them, you can't even comprehend them. Like yeah. you, like you sitting in the deer stand or your little tree blind, like you can't even fathom the amount of like factors that went into this deer being there. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, <sighs> like just stop. Half your shit's bullshit. They just need less stress, more nutrients. Less I, stress, ideal, more nutrients. Pray the weather's good. Water. Uh, don't shoot a buck to six and a half unless you're calling him. You're you're managing a place for a specific reason. There's an intent behind it. You yeah, have a, you have a goal in mind. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you can do whatever the fuck you want. I mean, you can. <laughs> you're just gonna suck. <laughs> But if you're going to like enter into this argument uh, and waste time talking about spikes such as we have for several days now, (laughs) you should really focus on other things. But at the end of the day, now at the beginning, when they first start kind of shedding velvet, that's when I get serious about my trail cameras again. Well, I'm leading up to shedding velvet. I'm about two, three weeks prior to them shedding velvet. I'm kind of getting my cameras spun back up and it's because I don't give a shit about pre velvet. Like when I don't want to watch them grow in their velvet, I want to see what they look like once they shed that velvet, but I'll start getting the cameras around everything else. And that's when we also start getting more and more aggressive, like by opening bow season, because no one bow hunts out here opening bow season. I'm in the stands all the time. Cause that's I'm comparing truck cam photos I'm comparing my counts I did during off season, like driving around thermal and keeping track of all that. And then I'm sitting in the stands, uh, making notes, looking at bucks, trying to determine whether I know what, if this bug is from last year and how he gained and everything else. Like that's when it starts getting really serious. So my opening rifle season, I've usually got a pretty good list, like a pretty, pretty good idea throughout the season, keeping track of everything, what needs to be shot, where, so on and so forth. Now, where the fuck was I going with this? Oh, this season, their gains, like the bucks that I am tracking, like the ones I know I'm looking at, like very distinct features I can keep track of, you know. Their gains did not match gains I saw last year, and I was super perturbed. Herb, look at you. Look at you like, go. And I'm like, I fed and watered so goddamn much this season. It is like ridiculous because I thought I could beat Mother Nature. If you track the last couple of years, compared gains that certain deer made to this season, the gains were very minute this season. But how and bad? That, how bad would it have been if you didn't do all that? Exactly. That'll look like body. I, I think we'd have, I think we'd have lost a bunch of deer if it wouldn't been watered, which we've always watered lots. Just been increasing every year, which I'm also increasing my capacity at each stand where I don't have to take as much water. But I, I figured it up from uh, oh shit. I forgot the number from spring through last week, whatever it was. I figured up how many thousands of gallons of water we hauled, and it, it was significant. I can't, it's thousands, thousands of gallons of water, just water alone. You now, and we fed. See, out here, it is the desert essentially, but the it, you know you do have like rainy seasons and uh, forbs and stuff like that grow sporadically, essentially, but. Uh, you need something to go along with this protein to help break the protein down. If you don't have that, you may be feeding 20, whatever percent protein, but if they don't have those other nutrients like forbs and brows to help break down the protein in the stomach, you're wasting protein. So I've always been a major proponent of alfalfa, especially I normally start it during the winter. Cause out here, that's typically when you don't have that kind of stuff. And I feed it all the way through, especially after deer season. When I kick back up the protein, we never stopped feeding protein, but I kind of slow way down during deer season. But leading up to deer season, pack it on real heavy, feed out protein and corn, primarily more corn and alfalfa during deer season. And after deer season, we, you know, 
open the gate again on protein as opposed to limiting them during deer season and keep that alfalfa going through the harsh harshness of the winter out here because there's most time during the winter out here there ain't shit for them to eat other than what we're feeding them which i mean they were surviving before they just didn't look very good but like i said so we typically only feed a lot of alfalfa during winter well because we didn't have any rain this spring i went ahead and started feeding it then usually i don't have to feed it from spring through to the, about the end of summer is when I started feeding it again. Because usually a little bit, like spring gives us enough to where they don't really mess with the alfalfa. Because they'll walk over protein, alfalfa, everything to get to the natural forbs, browse. The new green shit's popping up. They love that over this belly throughout there. Even though alfalfa, it's you know good leafy alfalfa. But from this year, from spring through just the other day well not the other day we eventually got some rain and a bunch of new green shit popped up they stopped eating they just like almost cut it off completely i fed out over 60 round bells that's on top of the thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds of protein and corn and thousands and thousands and thousands of gallons of water and we still didn't get those gains like i wanted now I was again. I was very perturbed in the beginning, looking at the deer, because I was also not seeing a lot of deer that I wanted to see. They started like finally showing up, which is strange. Normally, they're already there. Whereas this year, like I, I think, I mean, I don't even know where they went. I don't know why they'd want to leave, other than the fact like food resources. But they started showing up finally, and it's not as bad as I thought it was, but it's still like there's a couple particular, they're four and a half this year that I was really excited to see what they're going to do until we got this spring and summer that we got. They didn't make the gains I was hoping they would, but at the end of the day, it's like, eh, you know, but it, sh- it showed me that no matter what I do, I can't do nothing about those outside stressors, the increase in traffic, the drought time time span we had there it also showed me just how important those spring rains are i think i think that's the number one important thing is the spring rains as as it pertains to antler development can we talk about how awful trail cams are i went on this rant the other day about it even the best of trail cams like, okay, here's the thing. Why don't they put a fucking LiDAR sensor in it and, like, do, like, the basic amount of, like, AI bullshit necessary to, like, you know, grade grade the animal? But not only that, but then, like, I didn't be able to identify it. Yes. Like, gee, like it would work, like, it would take tech tech bros, like, a day to get that done. So, I, I know I we've, we've talked about this off camera, like, a, a grillion times. I'm always bitching about it. So I went on the search the other day and I found an app called buck score and I haven't messed with it enough, but there's a, and it costs like $60 a year or some shit, but there's, you can age a buck going off trail cam photos and you can score a buck going off trail cam photos. Mm, You know, and I'm sure there's a little bit of AI built in there because what you do is you give it a give it some parameters. Yeah. And then you have to do all these like line measurements and stuff. And it gives you now, as far as age so far, it's been pretty good. If you have the right photo, that's a problem. The score thing uh, to be determined. I got to play with it some more. It was off by like 10 inches the other day on a buck that I knew the score of that I did on the app. But yes, let's get back to truck count photos. So, I mean, someone is messing with it. Uh, trying to advance that technology. Well, it looks like it looks like there's stuff right here where it's uh, like subscription services, which is probably something you need to look into. Where you upload all your photos onto it, yeah, and it has a bunch of you know information. But like, literally, the trail cam photo should be doing this for you. Throw well, throw a lidar sensor in there yes. so you can measure things, and then like, just do, just do, just do it. 
Just do it. Now, I will say this. They are kind of starting to get some, like, cool technology going on. Like, I was looking at, uh, and the worst part is, like, I was not impressed with the image quality whatsoever. But Moultrie, I think I'm saying that right, has a new trail camera that's cheap. But it'll connect to whatever service has the best service. So AT&T or Verizon, Mm -hmm. whatever area you have the camera in, that's the one it picks. And crazy, it does. You don't have to have SD card for this camera. It saves it to the cloud. Amazing. They're starting to get like technology. Like you can pick preferences on buck, doe, varmint, all that stuff to where like it only saves whatever photo. So I think, I mean, I know it's, it seems like the cameras are still like, you have like good ones like Spartan and stuff like that, but even still like their image quality isn't always the greatest. And I don't understand that. Like, <laughs> you know, cameras are good camera lenses, like especially the ones they use in the trail cam photos are getting pretty good for pretty cheap. Like we're, and we're talking like, I think I don't remember if it was Spartan or Reconic. I don't remember. There's one company that makes them in the U.S., and they're like 500 bucks, which is understandable. A lot of people like them. Spartan, Daniel swears by, which Daniel does send us some pictures taken on a Spartan that are pretty pretty good and clear. My uh, stealth cams, I like them, but this year, they did some kind of update over the summer. This year, they've been giving me all kinds of trouble. It's starting to piss me off, but... 100%, 100%, there should be, you're already paying for this cell service crap. There should be a, an update or whatever. Like, I'd pay more to have better technology, like especially something like LIDAR. Well, people are throwing some so much money at this shit. Yes, whitetail hunting is like a billion-dollar industry every year. The only problem is it's, a lot of it's spread out. Like, there's no one big, like Apple, you know. Yeah. There's a reason why. You know, there's not a lot of competition as it, as it pertains to cell phones, as opposed to the trail camera market is pretty huge. Yeah, you guys all bass. suck. And no one, and it seems like they're putting more money into how to make it cheaper, <clears throat> as opposed to how to make a better. If quality someone came product. along and like did it right, good camera again, some kind. I, I think you, I think you have to do lidar because then, like, oh hey, we can measure the rack from the camera. That's there's no and, reason. This pisses me off more than anything. But then, like, oh hey, you're already doing the cell, so then have a cell service, but then have it upload to the to some kind of cloud platform where That's you manage what Moultrie it. Did. And then, but where it has like like oh, we're gonna AI detect and we're gonna like this is this deer, this is that deer. There is no reason with the advancements in technology. It would be no, it'd be so it'd be so simple. That at least an app. Okay, okay, let's just pretend for a minute they don't want to do that into their goddamn cameras. An app. I can upload my, I can sh- save my trail cam photos to my phone and then upload it to this app for tracking this buck, aging him, and scoring him. That alone would help a lot of people every year not take immature bucks and so yeah. on and so forth. Like, there's no reason why this technology should exist. Like, I was playing with. So I downloaded a, uh, and I don't even think, I don't even know if this phone has the LiDAR, but I, I downloaded a uh, 3D scanner app. Well, yeah, if you have that, it does. And I was playing with it to see how it would do on a bucks rack and everything else. And it was actually pretty neat. And I did the whole measurement thing. And guess what? I just connected the two points and it was a, the exact correct measurement. Have you, have you done it? Like for like me, do like doing room measurements yet? Not you, yet. It's just so cool. You just be it. like, you'd be like, yeah, it's like you know, fifteen feet. Right. Three eight. So there's no reason why someone like a big company, say Realtree, which I don't know how big they are nowadays. They I don't. There are. What's the biggest uh, game camera company? You know, I don't know. I know Stealth Cam has to be one of the bigger ones. Spartan, definitely, you hear about them a lot. But as far as like the is there a king? I have no idea nowadays because so many people make them. Yeah. Uh, there has to well, be. I mean, I'm sure that a good chunk of them are probably all made in the same factory. And 100%. You can look at them until that. Yeah. But I mean, 
Everybody get your shit together. It's like big companies. I mean, the thing is, nowadays there's so many companies. That's why I'm thinking like maybe it's just so spread out that not not just one company is making so much money they can afford to try and you know develop this technology. But I don't think with everything nowadays, I don't think it costs that much to develop that. I really well, I think I think the the biggest thing is you'd have to have somebody who came in and developed the app that it would be like a badass app that would work with like where you could just upload anything. Yes. But then it like specially like specialized with their own cameras to do right. even more. And that would be, that would be the way to do it. It just always seems like, I mean, I would do it. I just don't give a shit about deer. So sorry, everybody. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm tired of talking about it this summer. I want to start looking into it. Like if nobody like gets their shit together this summer, I want to start looking into it. Like whatever. Yeah. I mean, just an app to help you. And then you can always like do updates and everything. Just an app that don't cost that much to the consumer. That beginning, you uh, use it to track deer, like track deer, age deer, score deer, going off trail cam photos. That's that's your basic premise. That's the biggest. That's probably the biggest thing that they're going to want to begin with. That's. The majority of time, especially during deer season, the biggest question you hear or see is, "How old is this buck? Was it score?" Yeah, you know that's probably question one and question two, or question three: Is this the same buck? Well, with the technology we have, facial recognition, AI, lidar, everything else, there's absolutely no reason why there shouldn't be an app that does all this shit for you. Just yeah. my opinion. But then you'd have to teach whitetail people to. How to use well, it. that I think that comes down to how easy is this app yeah. to use. If it's a good app, it'll be fairly self-explanatory. I don't know. Have you met some of these people? Uh, hashtag whitetail hunters. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to tell you a story about Kyle. Oh, God. <laughs> and this has to stay in the podcast. Okay. So Kyle goes elk hunting with his buddies. And... uh. Well, that's why he's on the podcast today. He came here to pick up a backpack. So anyway, anywho, uh, Kyle's turn to shoot. And Kyle's going to be probably pissed that I'm telling this story. I don't give a shit. (laughs) I think it's hilarious. Kyle's turn to shoot. Pappy's up the bat. Got a nice elk out there in front of him. I think it's uh, 300 and some change or whatever with a night force. And Pappy's laying prone, getting coached by his buddy. And uh, shoots his elk, hits it, and everything. It dies. He got got the elk. Nice elk. It's great. I don't remember. Probably a 300 PRC or $20. I don't. Okay. He told me, but I don't remember. But anywho, Kyle scoped himself. What a fag. (laughs) Get get wrecked. And it was suppressed and everything. He just said he didn't have it in his shoulder pocket very good. Which sucks to I'm going to go ahead and dissect. I seen that his buddy recorded. I'm going to go ahead and dissect the situation. And give people something to think about. And we can use this to wrap up a podcast. Okay. Uh, final thoughts. Wait, do we have want. the video? Can I put the video up? You, I'll have to ask Kyle. <laughs> he may not want it out there. He may be completely pissed what you're talking about. It. I'm just like, if so, I'll cares? insert it right here and, and we'll watch it. If <laughs> yeah. not, just know that uh, Kyle is a. I mean, it's it's hilarious because Kyle's like super excited, which I mean, anybody would be. It's great out and, you know, he did his job. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you probably what happened was what happened they were running an Atlas bipod, by the way. LOL. And they probably didn't extend the legs or anything like that. He probably didn't take time to build a good position. And the particular night force that's on there doesn't have the greatest eye relief. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. Now, if you don't have your those buttstock supported properly, and you're getting too big of a rush. So what happened was Kyle probably didn't have one. He, they probably kind of rushed a little bit or whatever. And he, and, you know, rightfully so, he's probably super excited. Didn't pay much attention to the rear stock. Just knew he was on it and everything. Because, I mean, 400, 300, whatever it was, that's not a far shot. So you can make that shot. I mean, shot. it is for some of you. <laughs> you can make that shot all day long with that, not without the perfect setup. Yeah. So... And I can understand, like, I've, I've watched 
guys on the field, like they get so goddamn excited, like they don't pay attention to the little things that matter. But that's why you practice, so you don't have to think about it. But anyway, you probably didn't have a good rear rest or anything like that. It fell away, and given the that particular night force does not have a good eye relief, and think about the night force, yeah, the eyepiece, fucking metal, and it got him, it nailed him. But he turned around, and he was laughing about it, and his buddy was talking shit. It was great. I wish I could have been there and talked shit. Yeah, <laughs> Kyle, you're getting older, man. You got to watch that stuff. Exactly, that, people. That thin skin. You know. Anyways, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. We've beat this dead horse and beat this dead deer. Exactly. We beat this dead spike. Yeah. <laughs> we probably won't talk about it again until we get someone in here who actually knows. Yeah, I like the, the I like, I like a be- breeder pen person. Yeah, hundred percent. High some high fence and breeder pen. So we can kind of we can collect our own little data on this particular scenario. Well, do you have any final thoughts? Oh, um, I'm tired of people uh, crapping on Gunworks for being too expensive. Get over it. That's, I mean, yeah. I want to throw that in there. We should talk about that in another podcast. We should. I A guy puts one pre-fit barrel on an action, and he thinks he's a master fucking gunsmith. Get the fuck out of here. And I think that's how we should wrap this up. <laughs> we get it. It's easy. You can screw it on. I can do it, too. <laughs> well, folks, we'll see you next time.